Uh, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark in our Sunday morning series, for those of you who might be new here today. And uh, today we're in Mark chapter 4, and looking at some kingdom stories. And uh, this is actually a, a section of Mark's Gospel uh, that we began looking at last week with the parable of the sower, a very famous uh, parable of Jesus, the sower went forth to see to sow, and the seed, he said, is the Word of God. And so we're going to pick up uh, with a similar parable, different application that we'll read this morning, uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Uh, now, our text this morning, this passage is a part of a, a much larger uh, passage of Scripture. And I want to tell you right up front today, when I originally uh, picked this passage out uh, as our text message, I intended to preach on this whole large section. There's actually three parables here. Uh, and I wanted to cover them all today. But as I began to develop the message and pray over it and look at it, I realized that uh, it was going to be about an hour and a half or so for me to cover uh, all three of those parables. Uh, so I was merciful and we confined ourselves to one. Uh, we're actually not going to be looking at this passage this week. We'll be looking at it next week, uh, this parable. Uh, but I do want us to see that this is actually a part of what Jesus was talking about. When he was talking about the sower, now here's another parable where he is talking about someone who is planting seed in the ground. In all of these parables, there's a common theme. And that is the theme of how the Word of God works. It is a message of how that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord, is being planted out into the hearts of people and the kind of effect then that it has. Jesus explained how that he's using parables in this section. We saw it last week in Mark chapter 4 and verse 11. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. This was a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the nation of Israel as a whole, their spiritual leadership had entered into the final stage of rejection. Uh, Jesus was God in human flesh. So when He was standing there speaking to them, they were hearing the very, very words of God from the Lord Himself. And over and over again, Jesus said, you know, I'm speaking the words that God has given me to speak. So here was God in Christ reconciling the world into Himself. And yet they had rejected all of that. Uh, they had rejected Jesus' effort to bring healing into their life, to bring redemption, regeneration to them. They had rejected and rejected and rejected. And now there was nothing left for them except what the writer of the book of Hebrews talked about when he spoke of how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation and how that there was nothing left except a certain fearful anticipation of judgment. 
We have already seen Jesus refer to this crowd of people saying that they would die in their sins. They would never be forgiven. Their hearts had hardened against Him to the point that they were not going to turn. We've already seen that happen. Now He is speaking to them in parables. And these parables were not explained. They were just told and and given to them. And yet later, uh, He would speak to His disciples and interpret them. That's what we find in Mark chapter 4 and verse uh, 33. And with many such parables, He spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, He did not speak to them. And when they were alone, uh, He explained all things to His disciples. And he told them why. You see, he said to them, his disciples were given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, he said, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive. Hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest they should turn and their sins would be forgiven them. This was a quotation of the prophet Isaiah. Given hundreds of years before. All the way back in Isaiah chapter 6. That have eyes to see, but they wouldn't see. That have ears to hear. Yet they would not hear. And so Jesus gave them a very pointed command as He spoke to His disciples. He said, take heed what you hear in verse 24. Take heed. Listen carefully. Pay careful attention to what you hear. For with the same measure you use, He said, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. But whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Take heed. Pay careful attention. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now that's a statement Jesus made in several different contexts. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 2, he said, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, there it is, it will be measured back to you. So there it's talking about judgment. And how that we can pass judgment on others. But Jesus said, then the judgment that we use on other people is going to find its way back to us. We call that poetic justice. Uh, This has a way of coming back. And if we're judging other people, then uh, we're going to be judged in that same way. Uh, He said it uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And there he was talking about our giving. Uh, He said, give, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So there's that same principle. And there it's about giving. When you give, there's a way that that gift tends to come back to us. We're kind to people and people have a way then of being kind to us. Now, we ought to argue with Jesus sometimes on that, but I'll take Jesus' word on it. We say, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. You've heard that said. Uh, But uh, listen, uh, that may be an old saying, and there may be some validity to it, but I'll take Jesus' word, give, and it shall be given unto you. He'd make the same statement in another passage. He said, cast your bread upon the waters, and it'll return to you after many days. and, And so if we're kind to people, if we do good things to people, we give gifts to people, we're charitable toward people, then there's a way when that is going to come back to us. With the same measure, Jesus said, that you measure to others, it will be measured back to you. Here, it is used in reference to their reception or their rejection of the Word of God. If you measure the Word of God and reject it, then you'll be rejected. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to them. 
You remember in the Old Testament that classic example in the days of Daniel and the book of Daniel when they saw the hand writing on the wall and the message that was written on the wall said to that king, that pagan king, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Well, the Jewish people were weighing Jesus in the balance and found Him wanting. They were considering Him. They were measuring His message, measuring His Word and saying, we don't want any part of that. And they rejected it. And as a consequence then, Jesus said, they are going to be rejected by God. And that's exactly what was happening. He would go on to say that those who hear would actually get more, but those who rejected would have even what they had taken away from them. Uh, their understanding then of the word would decrease and not, out, and not increase. They were showing hostility toward Jesus and his message. That hostility was going to get worse. Their rejection was going to become more and more intense. Their heart was going to get harder and harder and harder to the message that God had given them. Now part of the reason for that would be explained by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 when he said the natural man does not receive the things of the Son of God neither can he know them their foolishness unto him because they are spiritually discerned. So a person who is an unbeliever, a person who doesn't know God, is not going to understand the things of God because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually discernible. They don't have that spiritual life in them, so they don't see it. They can't understand it. That's part of what was going on here. And this serves then to emphasize, as Jesus is emphasizing throughout this whole context, how important the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible really is to us. Now, if we ask what's the most important thing going on in the kingdom, we might quickly respond and say, well, the most important thing going on in the kingdom of Jesus Christ is souls being saved. That's hard to argue with because we know how important it is for people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, But the fact is, uh, people aren't going to be saved without the message of the gospel. The Word of God is is the way that we know who Jesus is and we know how then to have a relationship with Him. And that's really what Jesus is talking about in this passage is the power of the Word of God and the primacy of the Word of God in bringing about this salvation that is so important. And Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How did you get saved today? Uh, Folks, you were saved. If you're saved in this building today, you were saved exactly the same way I was saved. Somebody told you about Jesus Christ or you read about Him. You learned about the truth of the gospel. You learned that Jesus died on the cross, but that He didn't die because of His own sin. He died because of your sin. He died just like He died because of my sin. He died for me. He died for you. It wasn't just about his death because he was buried. But then he didn't stay buried. He rose again. And he's alive right now. And he's still saying today the same thing he said 2,000 years ago and more when he was here. And that is that whosoever believeth on me should not perish but have everlasting life. How were you saved? You heard the gospel. You were convicted of your sin. You called on Jesus Christ and asked Him to forgive you and to be your Savior on the basis of what He did on Calvary. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you were S-A-V-E-D, saved. That's what happened. 
And so while we would never underestimate the importance of salvation, we understand that the way we know how to be saved is because the Word of God exists. And the Word of God is powerful. And it is working in our world. And that's what this whole section is about. So Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. But you know, Jesus said just the opposite in John chapter 5 and verse 39 to this same group of people, the opposite effect. Not that he was contradicting what was said. He said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. You see, Jesus was talking to a group of people who were studying the Bible. They knew the Bible. They had learned it. They had memorized it. They had it in their mind. They had it in their heart. They walked around with the Word of God tied on their wrist, with the Word of God in ambulance that they tied around on their head. To this day, they still do it. And yet for all of their preoccupation with the Word of God, they didn't see Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you read the Bible and don't see Jesus, you need to read it again. Because the message of the whole Bible is the redemption, the redemptive purpose of God in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And that's what Jesus said. You think you have eternal life in the Scriptures. But in fact, these are they which testify of me. All of these things that I've talked to you about from all of these passages are all playing out for us here in Mark chapter 4 as Jesus emphasizes this same basic issue. The word is being preached. People are rejecting the truth that's being given to them by God. And because they were rejecting, Jesus said, what you've had before, what you've had, is being taken away. And what was that? Well, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, we've already seen this. Now, when John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, Jesus had come on the scene preaching the simple, powerful truth of the gospel. He had preached it and He had demonstrated it. He gave them examples or illustrations There they were in their spiritual blindness. But what did he do? He healed a blind man. How was that blind man healed? He went and did what Jesus told him to do. Emphasizing then, again, the power of the message. You do what I'm telling you to do. Here you are in your blindness, but I have a cure for that. So he not only preached it, but he had shown it, and he had shown it again and again and again and again. The power of the message, the power of the word. And yet they were rejecting it. And they'd rejected it again and again and again. And so now, where before they had had that plain, clear preaching and teaching of the gospel, now what did they get? Parables, stories, mysteries unexplained. And later only explained to his disciples. What they had, you see, the plain preaching of the gospel. Jesus is now taken away from them. And so where before they had that, now they're getting these parables. That's the setting. The scene of this rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the truth of the gospel, and the explaining then from here on, on, whenever Jesus talked to the masses, He spoke to them in parables, enigmatic, Riddles, 
It made no sense. That was a part of God's judgment that was already coming upon them. Now, as I explained to you earlier, we'll only have time to consider the first of these parables. There are three in this passage. And so, if you want to hear the rest of this message, and I hope you do, I hope you'll come back next Sunday. If you can't come back, I hope you'll watch it online and listen. Because you'll see then how these three parables are all emphasizing the power and the work of the Word in the world. This is the first one. Verse 21, also he said to them, Is a lamp bought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus here addresses the natural question the disciples might have. Okay, if if God's judgment is already falling on these people and they're not going to listen, their hearts are already rebelled. God, Jesus, you've sent us out to preach. What are we supposed to do? And so he talks to them about how the light is shining and how the light is operating and how that they were to continue to shine the light. But as he gives in this parable, uh, this story, he talks to them about very familiar things. The first thing is about a lamp. Now, this was an olive oil lamp. If, if you look them up uh, on, on Google, you can see them everywhere. You'll be familiar with them. These were very small for the most part. Some of them uh, were more ornate and more expensive. They might have a handle so they could be carried like this, but they all had the same thing. There's a reservoir, and they put olive oil in that. Uh, there was an end then. They could put a wick in it, and they would light it, and it would burn. It's much like a candle, only instead of running on wax, it runs on olive oil. Okay? Uh, some of them were expensive. But some of them were very cheap. Think about it. You're going to give a lamp to a kid. What are you going to give him? <laughs> a cheap one. Yeah. Not going to give him something really valuable uh, because it may not make it back home. And uh, uh, it, it, give it to his friends or, or, or leave it on a stump somewhere. You know, you know how kids are. Uh, so some of them were very inexpensive, very small. Most of them could fit in the palm of your hand. And uh, uh, so Jesus would talk to them about that, and he proposed then three different possibilities uh, of things that could be done with this lamp, uh, open flame, uh, little light, this little light of mine. He said, "You, you don't put it in a basket, and you don't put it under a bed. But instead, he said, you put it in a lampstand. And then he said, if anyone has hear, ears to hear, let him hear. To behoove us, I think, before we go further with our understanding of, of this parable, to remind ourselves that Jesus said twice in this passage, be careful of what you hear. Certainly this applies to every generation, but it applies to our generation in some very important ways. Later on in our study, we're going to see in Mark chapter 13, The time when the disciples would come to Jesus and he'd say, okay, what are the signs going to be of your coming and of the end of the world? This is a question that we're still asking a lot even today. What are the signs of your coming? What are the signs of the end of the world? And Jesus answered them, Mark chapter 13, verse 5. His very first answer, the very first sign was this. Take heed. Sound familiar? Same expression. Be careful. Take heed lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And so Jesus promises a time of incredible deception that would come before He returns to this earth. Be careful, 
what you listen to. Yeah, that was true in Jesus' day. But my, how it's true in our day. I could have never imagined back before Al Gore invented the internet uh, what, what an impact it was going to have. I, I could have never imagined that. Now you think, well, Brother Rich, you're, you're old. Well, I am old. You've already found out I've been married 43 years and, and, and no, we weren't married in grade school. I am old, but I didn't, I, I don't go back to Noah and uh, I'm not quite that old. It was a long time ago, but I remember I was preaching revival in Mobile, Alabama. And the pastor, we went into his office and they had just had installed a couple of weeks before that marvelous new thing called the internet. Now I'd heard about it, uh, but I had no idea that it was ever going to make it. I lived in Branson, Missouri at the time. I, I didn't know if we'd ever get it in Branson or not. And uh, so he, he said, here, let me show you. I was just telling him, what can you do with that thing? He said, well, you know, I, I booked your ticket, your airline ticket. I, I booked it on the Internet. I said, how'd you do that? So he said, well, let me show you. So he, he logged on. Now here's, bang, 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 bang. We walked over, got some coffee, you know, talked a little while, came back. And yeah, there, there it was. It was coming up. He was on the, sure enough, there was a website. He started typing in some stuff, and we'd talk a little while longer. And then we'd go back over there and talk in. Uh, he'd type in a little more, and he said, see, there it is. I could buy you a ticket right now online. I said, why don't you just call them? <laughs> you know, uh, why don't you just call and, and buy a ticket? I, to, I couldn't see any much use for the stuff at the time. It just seemed kind of absurd to me. But Not to be left out, of course, before long, we were connected to the Internet, too. And a few years later, I was at Sharon Baptist, and one of our staff members came in. He had a, a marvelous new phone he had just bought. It was called an iPhone. He said, it's a smartphone. I said, what can you do? He said, well, you can get the Internet on your phone. I asked him this question, why do you want the Internet on your phone? I couldn't imagine such a thing. I mean, my email bothered me already. I'm just on the computer. I couldn't imagine having to answer it on the phone all the time. I mean, that, that seemed absurd to me. But before long, I had a smartphone. Still got one today. I had no way of knowing, folks, how much it was going to change our world when we put those two things together so that we walk around with our hand all the time. And some of you have even got one on your wrist now, and that's annoying to me when I'm talking to somebody and I see them looking at their watch all the time. I'm thinking, man, am I boring you? Have you got some... I, you know, I know you've got the internet now on your watch. God only knows where they're going to put it next. I'm looking, might, might be on my eyeglasses next. I don't know. I'd give you an earbud. I, oh, we've already got those. Sorry. <clears throat> but you can't type on them. I, I don't, it's amazing. I had no idea, folks, how much that was going to change our world. But now we walk around with this unending supply of information that's with us at all times. And whoever controls, you listen to this old preacher today, whoever controls the supply of information has incredible power to determine what you think and what you believe is true. Don't kid yourself. They have incredible power. Jesus said it a long time ago, you take heed who you listen to. Take heed to what you hear. That was important then. Man, it's important for us. Jesus would go on to talk about a person, one man, 
in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 13. I'm not going to preach all that now because I'm going to save it till later. But this is just kind of a prequel, a preview, if you will. Jesus would talk about the, the coming of the man of sin, the son of perdition. And this man is going to be able to bring together the spiritual, political, and economical side of human uh, events and power and bring them all into one so that he'll have control over what we learn, what we think, what we hear, what we say. Uh, we used to wonder how in the world they're going to monitor all this stuff. We don't wonder about that anymore because we know our smartphone's listening all the time. If you don't believe it, just talk about J.C. Penney and see what comes up on your phone when you get home. Or Sears. Well, maybe I'll have to pick something else. Um, out, anyway. Folks, the man is coming who is not only going to say, okay, you've got to believe whatever I say is true and you can't argue but he's also going to demand to be worshipped. You see, that's the spiritual side. He's going to set up a one-world government. That's coming. We're closer to it now than we've ever been. <laughs> but I don't say all that to get you all upset and worried about because you know what? We're looking for Jesus to come. And the man of sin is not going to be the one that has the final word in things. But Jesus was talking about it. He's given him this response. This is what you're looking for. This is what's going on. And it's important because it's not just one or two, but there will be many who will come. There will be many who will try to assume that claim to be our Lord and Master. And that one then ultimately who will demand to be worshipped as God. Jesus was talking to people who had embraced their own version of a false religious system. And though the Word of God was being preached to them by God in the flesh, they retained their lies and rejected Him and His truth. Their hearts were hardened. How should they respond? That came the parable, this little light of mine. This little lamp. Do we put it in a basket? I brought this basket to you today. It wasn't made in the Holy Land. This was actually made on Tana Island, the South Pacific. Uh, but it was made by hand, and it is a woven basket, much like the baskets that they would have had in Bible times. I want you to think about open flame light put inside this basket. What's going to happen? Thank you. It's going to set it on fire. Okay, beds were made out of were much like what we would call pallets. They weren't beds up off the ground. They were pallets, and most of the time, their beds were made out of the same stuff. They'd weave a bed. They might, if they were more wealthy, they could have a blanket or two to put down as well. But for the most part, they slept on the floor. And again, what does an open flame light source do to a bed? Sets it on fire. Candle is a good source of light. It's not the, uh, the be fine. It's not the best source of light, um, but it is a good source of light. When Jesus, it's interesting to me that when Jesus described the light that overcomes the darkness, he's not talking about a bazillion uh, candle power LED light strip like you see coming at you at night uh, from those pickup trucks. And wouldn't it be great if Ford Motor Company somehow would just dim their lights a little bit? I mean, it's getting really out of hand. You young folks love them, but us old people, it makes it hard to, 
to drive. He's not talking about a bazillion candle power. How many candle power is a lamp? One. And yet you put it in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome that. And while an open flame light source is a good thing, perfectly good, it does work, but you have to be real careful with it. You don't put it around combustible materials. You don't put it close to the curtains. You don't put it close to your clothes. You don't get it close to your bed. (laughs) Not anywhere close to your bed. Because it will set it on fire. Where does an open flame light source belong? Well, Jesus gave us that alternative. It goes on a lampstand. This was a very common piece of furniture and all of their one-room houses in Bible times. Uh, Yes, they would have the bed there. Yes, there would be baskets there. But there would always be a lampstand somewhere so that when people came in, they would have a place to put their lamp down. That was safe. It was out in the middle of the room. It put it up in a safe place and so they could see. The lamp goes well on a lampstand. I think Jesus was alluding to this in this passage when he said in verse 22, there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed. And that is that there would always be efforts to try to hide the gospel or try to cover up the gospel. But the gospel was just going to burn up. You put them in a basket to cover it up. What's it done? All of a sudden the flame is burning brighter. There's more flame than there was before. And that's exactly what we've seen over thousands of years of human history that every effort to try to kill out the truth of the gospel has in fact made it grow and burn even more brightly. Every effort to suppress it has in fact turned against it. The very fact, folks, that the gospel is still here today after all these hundreds of years and after all of the efforts that have been put forth to try to stamp it out and kill it out and persecute it out and imprison it out and none of those efforts have worked. Thank God the gospel is still being preached today. So Jesus is making a very powerful point here. You can't hide the gospel. You can't put it out. John began his gospel narrative with this profound declaration in John chapter 1 and verse 4. I love this. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, some translations have this, the darkness does not comprehend it. Uh, but the actual word means to seize or overtake. That's the translation we have here, the darkness doesn't overcome. The darkness does not win. Against all of the combined efforts of humanity, there stands the truth of the gospel is still shining. When Jesus talked to his churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 20, he used that exact imagery of a lampstand. And this is Jesus speaking in this passage. He said, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels, the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. You remember Jesus described us as the light of the world? Not because we produce the light, but because He's put the light in us and on us and He shines through us. That's true of us individually. You students who are headed back to school, you'll be shining the light in the darkness of your school. You parents who are going to work tomorrow, 
You might be working in a dark place. But you know what? You'll be shining the light of the gospel in that place. You may be shining the gospel in your own family. You might be the only believer in your own household. But you are a believer. The light shines in you. And you are shining the light. And the darkness, Jesus said, does not overcome it. It doesn't seem like much. Just one light, one candle. But Jesus also talked about a city that is set on a hill. That's kind of like what the church is. When all of us gather together and all of our light comes together, then we shine even more brightly. And it's a light that cannot be hidden. The darkness is not going to win. The truth of the gospel will continue. A lampstand then is our life. It is our testimony. Though it's incompatible with the basket or a bedroll, it burn those up. It works very well on the lives of people. As we live out the truth of Scripture in our sin-darkened world and we share that truth with others as we have the opportunity. This little light of mine, I am going to let it shine. Well, we're going to wrap up this morning with a couple of passages of Scripture and we'll be done. Jesus made us, you see, this incredible promise. I I referred to Mark chapter 13 earlier in the message. I want to go back to it now to show you one more thing that he said there. Mark 13, 31. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away. And I'll say it again as I have many times before. All efforts to save this planet are doomed to fail. The planet will not be saved. Jesus said it, heaven and earth shall pass away. You want to read more? Read the book of Revelation. Gives you a lot more detail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Then Jesus asked a very sobering question in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. He said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? You see, there's no question as to whether or not the truth, the truth of the gospel will survive. It will. It has. It will. It'll be here when Jesus comes. But then He asked the question, when He comes, will I find faith? Will there be people still believing that truth? Now, the answer to that question is also an emphatic yes. Jesus made that promise in Matthew chapter 18 when he said, or Matthew chapter 16, when he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yes, there will be people who are still believers. But you know, Jesus taught us also that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. And how many people found grace in the eyes of the Lord in the days of Noah? In case you're nearsighted like me and you can't tell how many fingers I'm holding up, that's eight. Eight. A world full of people. And eight. I'm not telling you that the world is going to get down and there'll only be eight people left believing in the gospel when Jesus comes. I'm not telling you that, but I do believe that Jesus warned us that the numbers are going to go down amazingly. And in fact, that's what we see happening all over the world right now. Fastest growing religion in the world right now are called the nuns. 
We not N U N, but N O N E, none. When you ask the question, what is your religious belief? The answer is none. Fastest growing group in America and around the world. And so Jesus asked a sobering question. There's, it's not a question about is the truth going to survive? The truth is going to survive. It's, gonna, it's going to be here. But will there still be people believing it? And, and he's assured us as well, that's going to be the case. But you see, the pointed question that has to be asked about this is, have you believed it? When Jesus comes, are you going to be one of the ones that he finds as a believer? Many will not. Many will be rejectors. But will you be one of those believers, are you one right now? The most important issue that you can ever settle in your life is the answer to the question, what will I do with Jesus Christ? You can't ignore Him. You can't make say, well, I'm not going to decide. No, you, you just made a decision. Everyone has to make that decision. What will you do with Jesus Christ? I presented the gospel to you as clearly as I could this morning. The gospel is about hearing the message of salvation that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day, and he gives out the message then, whosoever believeth on me should not perish, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that word, whosoever, because that means uh, any one of you. Yeah, yeah, me, anybody. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you haven't done that, I plead with you today to do it. I'd do it for you if I could, but I can't. I can't. There's only one person who can decide for you. Your parents can't decide it for you. There's only one person who can decide for you what you'll do with Jesus Christ. And that's you. Will you receive Him? Or will you reject Him? must have seemed a very difficult kind of thing. I mean, Jesus was talking to a very small group of people in those days. Twelve apostles. Handful of people. Against them first was the powerful Jewish religious establishment, and they were very powerful and very strong. They did everything they could to try to kill out the Christian message up to and including crucifying Jesus Christ. But of course, what they did just <laughs> fanned the flames of the God. They didn't stop it. It just it blew it up, man. After them came the Romans. And there would soon be a time when all of the power and imperial might that was the ancient Roman government, all of their strength, all of their governmental authority, all of their ability to intimidate and to rule by intimidation, all of their soldiers, all of their armies, all of the might that was Rome was focused then on the truth of the gospel and those people who received it. All of the power of Rome was on one side focused against this small group of itinerant preachers, traveling preachers. Didn't seem like much. Just a small band of preachers. 
all the power of Rome. But the power of Rome and its infamous Pax Romana has long since perished under the sands of time. But the truth of the gospel is still going. They didn't stamp it out. They didn't slow it down. They spurred it on. And thank God they did. Because you and I have received the benefits. We're the beneficiaries of that. We've received the benefits. Because we've heard the gospel. And believed on him. If you haven't made that decision today. I, I plead with you. Please. Please carefully consider what you've heard today. Because Jesus talks to us about the truth of the gospel. I'll close out our time together with a promise that the Apostle Paul gave to us when he wrote to the church at Philippi many years after the gospel of Mark was written. And he would give us this instruction. Let this mind be in you, he said, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things on earth and things under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I say this today to remind you that there is no question as to whether every voice on this planet will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord One day they will. Unfortunately for many of them, it'll be too late. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And though everyone on this planet will one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, if they haven't received Him as their Savior while they're alive in this life, They're going to face him as their judge and hear him say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Most important decision you can ever make is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you haven't done it, don't wait another day. Do it now. Let's stand together, please.